Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Steve Albini is a musician, songwriter, poker player, and recording engineer based in Chicago, Illinois. A member of notable bands like Big Black and Shellac, Albini owns and operates the renowned Electrical Audio Recording Facility in Chicago and has appeared on the Creative Control podcast in some capacity at least once a year since its inception in 2013. In this particular instance, Steve and I connected to have a discussion that covered uh, how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted the work of the Unconditional Giving Poverty Alleviation Charities Organization and its annual Letters to Santa program, which is spearheaded by Steve's wife, Heather Winna, and will engage in a star-studded 24-hour improv event to raise funds for those in need on December 22nd, 2020. Uh, Steve gave me his take on the political state and global standing of the United States of America. 
He talked about some really fun text threads he's involved in. He also discussed the grim status of his recording studio, Electrical Audio, because of how uh, the U.S. government has neglected its citizens and its economy during this pandemic. Steve talked about where in the world he might have moved to had the 2020 U.S. presidential election gone differently. Uh, He gave me his response to Elvis Costello's recent disparagements about Steve's work with P.J. Harvey. We talked about the Houston Astros World Series cheating controversy and the genius of play-by-play commentator Steve Stone. Uh, We talked about the status of Shellac's next album and a forthcoming compilation of singles, B-sides, and and other rarities recorded by the band throughout their trajectory together. And we talked about a whole lot of other stuff, too. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, and also Massey Hall's concert film series live at masseyhall.com where you can stream dozens of 30-minute films for free, including performances by past podcast guests like Destroyer. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planted Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. This is the 589th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Steve Albini, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Steve. How's it going? You know, everything's awful. Yeah, I knew the answer was going to be something along those lines, but I, I ask it anyway because uh, it's uh, in the grand scheme of things, how are things going? How about Maybe I should have phrased it that way. Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, everything is awful, yeah. Everything is, is still awful. Okay, where in the world are you today? Chicago, Illinois, my hometown. Nice. And uh, what's going on in Chicago? How, how are things in Chicago normally? When we talk around this time of year, uh, we get to talk about uh, letters to Santa. Yeah. Uh, your, wi- your wife, Heather, uh, has this program where she helps people who are unhoused or are not doing so well. Uh, I, I, right off the top, what is the state of that program given you know the circumstances we're in? Yeah, the global pandemic has really just affected absolutely every aspect of life. And um, we're... Like the the normal the charity that she runs is called unconditionalgiving.org the poverty alleviation charities and the letters to santa program is an annual fundraising thing where we raise money and bring it to poor people on christmas and we can't go to poor people's homes uh now it's not safe to go to other people's homes for them it's not safe for it's not safe for us but it's primarily we're concerned about being a vector um, bringing the coronavirus to other people, so we're, we're staying socially distant. Um, also, the the aid organizations that we use to locate families that need help have no in-person services at the moment, so enrollment is down in all of those programs, and it's it's just a terrible year, not just because it's a terrible year, but because it's affected all of our ability to help people. 
Yeah. Um, so we are s- still going to do the annual 24-hour marathon show. It's going to be an online live stream event. The details will be uh, at the charity website at unconditionalgiving.org and at 24-hour improv slash 2020. 24hourimprov.com slash 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, the, the money that we're raising, we're not going to be able to distribute in person. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to use the aid organizations that we use to identify families and uh, distribute the money through them. But um, we're, we're doing it. It's all we know how to do. Um, and it's a very dim glimmer of hope in a very bleak year. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate that work. That sounds great. Sorry, what was that website again? I just want to make sure we get that. There's unconditionalgiving.org is the poverty alleviation charity's website, and if you go there, 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 you should be able to navigate to any of the programs that the the charity runs and the 24-hour marathon show once it's been finalized. I assume uh, in other years that weren't impacted by a, a pandemic, people around the world could donate uh, to uh, this charity via that site. Uh, yeah, that, you still can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. And then dispersal of the funds will be more difficult. I I know you. You. It's true. You and Heather and other people. You go to people's houses, don't you? You used to do that, right? I mean, that's the the whole routine. Is we raise a bunch of money, we find people who need in need and they articulate their need through letters uh, originally letters addressed to santa that were left at the post office but now letters addressed to santa that are collected by the aid organizations that we work with notably the onward neighborhood house on the west side of chicago but also their um, affiliated ngo social uh, services organizations and charities around the city Last year, we expanded and we started doing Christmas deliveries in Oakland, California as well. Um, there's a charitable partner out there and there's a, a school that we work with out there yeah. um, that found us families. And we did um, the day after Christmas, we did uh, some deliveries in Oakland last year. We had hoped to carry on with that and expand it. But this year has just been yeah. miserable, just been a grinding torture the entire year. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you sound uh, as often you. I find you often sound resolute uh, uh, in in your in your belief uh, that things can happen, that things can then you know you can affect positive change. You also, as a as a person, as a citizen, I hear it in your voice. You sound frustrated and despondent. Um, well, I'm a realist. You know, the our only hope at any kind of a coordinated national response was getting Trump out of office. Okay. Um, job done, you know, step one underway, but now we have to wait. We're just waiting out the garbage time of the Trump pregnancy, uh, pregnancy (laughs) of the Trump presidency. And, uh, you know, when the buzzer finally rings and Biden can work with a, presumably slightly more sympathetic Congress. Um, Maybe we can get some substantive aid through. But until then, everyone is just hanging on by their fucking fingernails, you know? It's just everybody's broke. Uh, Nobody can do anything. Uh, People are losing their jobs, losing their homes. Uh, It's the worst year ever. Zero stars this year. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I noticed that you gave it that rating on its Yelp. Uh, yeah, I, I've, uh, this trolling doesn't seem like it's going to end now. I don't mean to go further into the abyss of despair, but what I'm, what is occurring to me up here in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada, is that this guy and his ilk are not going to go anywhere after January 20th. They're just well, going to troll, troll us forever. Well, uh, that, I don't care. I, I just yeah. want them neutralized. I, I don't yeah. care what they think or what they're, you know, I don't care what the rationale for their behavior is. I'm not, try, I don't, I'm not interested in finding common ground with them. I'm not interested in, in comprehending their pain. I just want, I want them neutralized. I want them to be the marginalized, comical, remnant of a failed and embarrassing episode you know yeah yeah what is the media's role in this going forward though because i'm i that's something i'm monitoring is will they deplatform them so to speak and stop covering this bullshit or no there's there is yeah. an audience for this you know wackadoodle stuff and the wackadoodles are there are enough of them and they can be cultivated like mushrooms so there are enough of them now and there will be some cultivation done for them so they're actually that you know it's going to be they're like you know in the same way that there are you know still lingering deadheads and rockabilly enthusiasts and you know any other kind of uh thing that you thought we were done with you know there will be these proto-fascist nut jobs. Uh, we our our job as a society is to neutralize them. It's not it's not to educate them. That's not a possibility. It's not to to work with them or find common ground with them. It's to make sure that they are irrelevant. When you say the media, you're actually talking. You're not talking about a single monolithic entity. You're talking about this fractious and fractured landscape where you have small market AM radio stations in rural areas that are yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. monopolistically owned by large corporations that um, really don't care don't have an agenda other than making money and then you have some ideologically driven people in broadcast who have vacuumed up local television stations and people like the Sinclair group who now own an enormous number of broadcast outlets and have an uh, an avowed right-wing slant like if they think that their easiest path toward maximizing their income is by you know sort of encouraging the wackadoodles then they will you know yeah but that's yeah. why I mean we need to marginalize them. I mean, we need to neutralize them. We need to make it so that they are not welcome in businesses. We need to make it so that they they find no comfort and so that their economic muscle can't be exploited. Their ne- economic power can't be exploited by the people who feed their insanity. Well, I want to draw a distinction between what you're saying about neutralizing such, such uh, people and organizations and ignoring them because I have built up a, a kind of a full body callous when someone's trolling me i'm able to ignore it and 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 i mean just just i don't even i just don't acknowledge it but i feel believe me i i understand that practice i mean (laughs) i have skin like a rhino myself (laughs) yeah but what i'm saying is we did we make a mistake somehow in ignoring 
these people. Like, I, I, I get what you're saying. I don't want to make peace with them. I don't get it. But to live in vacuums, I think, has maybe caused some of us to be like, what? QAnon? People think that? How can they do that? And I wonder if just, like, keeping tabs on it might have been a better way to go somehow. I don't really want to because it will occupy mental space. I could be shoving other stuff in there. But do you, do you know where I'm coming from a little bit? I appreciate what you're saying, but you cannot engage with these people because they aren't using language the same way that we are. They aren't using discourse and language to learn or further a discussion or uh, debate in good faith. They're just getting reps in on their trolling, right? Yeah, so you yeah. cannot engage with these people. What what you do is you make it so that they know that their their ideas are unwelcome on any platform that you're you have influence on and you let them know on a on a personal level that you will not engage with them in in, in that way yeah like i i don't see any value in trying to manage patently insane group of people like people who literally deny tangible reality yeah i don't see any value in engaging with a cult like that uh, and i think it's going to burn itself out the way all of these things do we just need to minimize the damage that it does in the meantime yeah that's fair i want your take on something because it's been puzzling me a little bit um i understand that uh, the outgoing president and many, uh, most, if not all Republicans, uh, generally are motivated for, by selfish impulses, shitty, just shitty behavior. But I, I, as I think on the year, I wonder what your take is on why they all almost immediately downplayed the pandemic. I, I, and I know some of the rationale here. Well, but it started, but, but, but what I want to say though is they've stuck to that stance. They've refused to do anything to alleviate it or, and, and, and the devastation is irrefutable. They're just distorting obvious facts and they're being called on it. But I guess I don't get that. Why well, would you not the want to? Policy was established in the U.S. to protect the businesses that exploit people who work in dangerous environments. Right. So policy was principally like when meatpacking plants were the principal vector for transmission and they were the hothouses where the, the cases were immediately there was legislation passed to establish that meatpacking workers were essential and to protect meatpacking plants from litigation and to, you know, like basically the policy was set to defend the investment class and the people who were profiting from the exploitation of labor in dangerous circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's how policy was set, and it's it just hasn't changed. It's just carried on that way. And the all the arguments about personal liberty, all of those things are just are are cover for wanting businesses to be able to continue to make money by exploiting service workers, by exploiting delivery people, um, by e exploiting people who who have to work in confines and congregate with other people yeah that's I mean, it it's pretty transparent it doesn't have yeah. anything to do with you know genuine freedom it's literally just about making sure that the wealthy people who make money from exploiting labor carry on you know protecting that investment protecting that that 
profit margin. So is the the you know repeated public denial of the science and and suggestions that you know you know we're rounding the corner uh, you know on the other side that's signaling to that base that in that base of investors to be like don't worry I got you that's what you think that's I just don't get that part of it the that messaging is driven by specifically by Donald Trump's perception that illness is weakness yes yes and that if if you are sick you are a flawed person and that it it's not it's not just that it's your fault it's that that you are irredeemable for having become sick you know yeah. and he can't imagine being the president of a country where people are getting sick and so he just claims that it isn't happening right right do you think he is in cognitive decline, or do you do you think he's just an asshole? I don't think it matters. I mean, he's he, he, like I said, we're in the garbage time of his presidency yeah. now. There's yeah. nothing nothing that he does or says is going to do is going to have yeah. any consequence at this from this point on. So I don't care, and I don't want to spend any energy thinking about it. Okay, um, fair enough. Uh, I also don't think that there's a meaningful distinction between someone who's a narcissist psychopath and someone who is in cognitive decline. I mean, I suppose the difference is that if someone is in cognitive decline, they were at one point caring, uh, of a, you know, an empathetic yeah. and caring person. It's possible. Right. But right. Donald Trump never has been. He has always been precisely the person that we see. And uh, it doesn't, I don't think that that's, I don't think that's made worse by him losing brain cells, you know. Sure. Fair enough. Yeah. Over the years, you and I have had many conversations. Uh, occasionally, we have bantered about uh, Canada, and uh, you know, you've you've made little jokes about Canada over the years, and I appreciate that. But I our kid brother yeah. country. Yes. There you go. There. There it is. There's. That's what I was looking for. There's the stuff. I like it. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. I used this the other day. Did, did you used to call? Who called Canada America's hat? Was that you? Uh, I, I'm sure I have at some point. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I can't. I could. I used it the other day with someone, an Ameri one of your fellow Americans, and I was making a joke, and I and I thought of you because I'm like, did I just rip off Steve there? Did you coin that? It's a funny, funny idea. But anyway, my point here is, so much has been going on in this year. So much has come to light, like stuff we, some of us who've been paying attention, are aware of. You know, social unrest, police violence, these kinds right. of things. So I, I want to frame this question as carefully and as uh, diplomatically as I as I can, Steve, because uh, I feel like in your jabbing of Canada, there's a little bit of American superiority. And I wonder, is America actually a good place? And if so, what to you about it is still good? Because I'm, I'm I'm struggling a little bit again. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, lo I, I, I love you. I just I don't want don't be insulted. I'm just saying. Now I'm starting to think about it a bit more and like, what is good about it? What, yeah, what I mean, do you like relative, about it? Relative to the United States, Canada is crushing it at the moment, you know? <laughs> uh, I, when you Again, look at... I'm not, this is not me. We have lots of issues. Right. Horrible systemic problems. We have, uh, you know, I live now in a libertarian province. I live in the province with the worst caseload. Uh, I moved from a province that was heading that way and is not doing well either but in a worse there's like a state of emergency here we can't leave our homes like it's finally right. happened so i'm not this is not superiority i'm being sincere like i i've followed american culture and 
politics my whole life, and now I'm like, what have I invested my time in? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, honestly, I, there's a, a friend of mine that lives in Montreal. He was ori- originally Australian, and he said, you know, when he was a kid, it always seemed like the ambition was to end up in America, where you know, the center of everything, where everything happens, you know. And then as an adult, he lived here for lived in New York for a while. He uh, interned at the studio for a brief period, and then he moved to Montreal, and he's been in Montreal ever since. And now, and he he was reflecting on it. He's like, now when I think about where where would I like to go? Like America isn't even on the list, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like where yeah. would you like to end up? And uh, it's a it's a it is a shit show here. Like we we have blown so many of our we had substantive advantages on the whole rest of the world. We had all the money. We invented everything. We had all the companies. We had all the technological advancements. Like we you know we were doing everything. Twentieth yeah. century was like pretty much ours you know and uh since then we've just shit the bed nonstop. do you have any perspective on why exactly like why is your country so divided like we are now very you know it, it started out as maybe a little bit of a joke but we are invoking the phrase civil war yeah with a little bit more weight like it's actually as as your president calls for people to arm up Violence is going to ensue. People are being threatened yeah. for counting votes. Like that is a really obviously horrible place to be. And yeah, I think there's a there's a when you say that we are divided, what's happened is that being an asshole has become part and parcel of an identity that is now aspirational for some people, whereas being an asshole was just a character flaw previously. So there are people for whom just being belligerent and unfeeling and uncaring and like a sociopath where people identify with that as a role model, essentially. Yeah. The, the, the notion that we are a divided country kind of belies the fact that there have always been these divisions, you know, racism, sexism, class divides, like those have mm-hmm. always been there and they have often been more stark and mobility has often been institutionally prevented, like the red lines in real estate and sexist language in law and, you know, racist language in law, things like that. Like, a lot of that has changed. The institutional barriers in a lot of places, a lot of ways have come down. Yeah. But people are still identifying with the tribes that they grew up with, and they have hardened themselves toward the people that are not like them. And that's, yeah, I think that's, I, I, I wish I could tell you what the cure-all, <laughs> the curative for that is, you know. I have well, a, I, I have a small yeah. number of peop, of friends who identify as conservative, or you know, who are conser- more conservative than me at any rate. Yeah, and if you engage them in debate, they will debate uh, in good faith a lot of the priors and presumptions that they carry with them sound insane to me and don't comport with my worldview and don't comport with my experience. But I don't believe that they are as delusional as the wingnut, you know, people that, you know, the the blind Trump supporters. 
Yeah. You, okay. So we've we you you have touched upon delusion. You've touched upon assholery. One of the things that I'm really as you know I'm a I'm a parent with uh, children and you know bringing the, I don't want to go this cliche route, but I am thinking about it as we sometimes the news is on and they process certain things and they ignore others. But I'm curious about your take on what has happened to lying <laughs> yeah. because the the extent to which a kind of new form of lying often in the form of projection uh yeah. i've not seen this before where you say you a lot of this assholery is what can i get away with what yeah, can exactly. i do to get away with something and also this one of the strategies that trump has done his whole life that is spreading is when I do something that I know, or maybe they don't know it because they're sociopaths, but if I do something that is illegal, I'm going to accuse someone else yeah. of doing that exact thing. Well, that's a very old, that was a Nazi propaganda technique. Is yes. You, you yes. accuse the other side of that which of which you are guilty. And, and it sounds insane when it's coming out of your mouth, but you just keep doing it. And what it does is it it deadens and neutralizes the terms of accusation um, because there's a you know, let's say you say, oh, these people are uh, rigging the election. Well, I mean, there's no more obvious or blatant rigging of an election than the gerrymandering that was an explicit part of the red state campaign that the Republicans yeah. have been running yeah. since the late 80s, right? Yeah. So they are clearly guilty of rigging elections. And so they accuse the other side of rigging an election, and what that does is it, it it eventually means makes that term meaningless. It eventually makes it so that you can't use that term without there being some question about what which side you're addressing. Whereas previously, it would have been you know before they started making those accusations, it would have been clear what you were talking about. Yeah, it's childish. It's like it's a two kids being like, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. It's a way of distorting the language so that the behavior is no longer associated with the term. So yeah. like the Republicans can carry on rigging elections, knowing that no one can say they are rigging elections because they have bought that term. Have you seen this thread, uh, this tweet thread about Mitch McConnell that someone started? I think it was yesterday as we're speaking. They basically, they, they went through the, they, they couldn't understand it. He had an 18% popularity rate and apparently won by 57% of the vote. And they're like, well, how is this possible? And as they went through it, they realized that all the stuff that Trump has been saying about those Dominion machines uh, in, in terms of it having an algorithm that you could vote flip with, you know, apparently Kentucky, South Carolina, these kinds of places where Lindsey Graham won, Mitch McConnell won, apparently they use a kind of machine that does that. And so, so now we're in this zone where, like you say, it's hard now for, it's just becomes noise because everyone's kind of flinging mud at each other. But like this tweet thread is incredible. I, I, it's very extensive and well reported, I think. I mean, you know, here I am just reading a tweet thread. I don't know if it's true. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did you, are you aware of this one? Uh, I don't. And I'm, and constitutionally, I, I'm inclined to believe that Mitch McConnell would do anything to stay in power. So uh, yeah. I am credulous, but I also haven't read it. So I, I should. I'll, uh, I'll I'll share it with you after we're done here, just so you can, if you want. Also, are you? I uh, did a. Th I'm trying to do a thing where I don't read the news at night before bed because it's so. Dis you know, it's hard mm -hmm. to sleep. Are you 
insulating at all? I know you try to stay informed, no, but do you... My, the, my problem is that I have been trapped in my house uh, for a long period of time, yeah. and I feel like electronic connections with the outside world are some of the only connections I have with the outside world. You know, like, I can ride my bike to work and see my neighborhood, and, uh, you know, I can walk to the grocery store and see my neighborhood, and I can change rooms in the house and see a different angle on my wife and the cats, but uh, I feel like I... The, the threads of contact through the internet with the rest of the world are extremely valuable to me now. Yeah, so you're, you're keeping informed and staying connected with people. I'm trying and, to, but it's a, it's a pretty passive exercise yeah. on my part. Like, I'll look at my phone now and again, yeah. and, you know, I have, I have a number of text threads that I'm, you know, very proud to be associated with <laughs> that, I, <laughs> that I, hope, I hope will be immortalized somehow on my passing, you know. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want my quips and my, and my jabs to be forgotten, but. When I dunk on somebody in a text thread, more people should know about it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but these are your friends, I assume? You're not just having random dust-ups with people texting you. Oh, yeah. They're all intimates of one kind or another, yeah. Do you mind? I'm just curious. Who are, who are some of the people you're engaged? I know they're texts. They're private. Well, whatnot, for but example, there are texts. There's a text thread that uh, is everyone associated with electrical audio, like uh, the people yeah. who live and work in this building, uh, you know, and that text thread is for sharing information but it's also for breaking balls um there's another text thread which is a, a bunch of my cohorts in the poker community like people who people who professional poker players and people who have an interest in poker and that are that i'm get on with socially and that's a pretty wide-ranging text thread and then yeah. then i have other very specific ones there's the vampumovi group um vampumovi is an acronym that Tim Midget came up with it's a fake Italian word that, that's an acronym for very old men playing unfashionable music on vintage instruments <laughs> okay. and the Vampumovi group is a self-identifying group of very old men who play unfashionable music on vintage instruments and we communicate with each other in a sort of a knowing way that our, that our tastes and our activities are, are arcane and uh, slightly embarrassing, but uh, we're still committed to them as a lifestyle. What are some of the uh, what are some of the vintage instruments in question, if I may ask? Oh, it doesn't matter. But I mean, I I have a Travis Bean guitar that I've played oh I continuously see. for twenty five years. And it was old when I bought it. So uh, oh, oh, I see. It's not. It's not some you know, archaic, what have you, like a, a, some sort of prehistoric instrument. It's, it's oh no, like not a guitar. I don't mean it's like just a guitar and hurdy gurdies. I just mean you right, know, it's right. yeah. It's normal okay. regular rockers who uh, are you know sad and unpopular. Right. I, okay. <laughs> Speaking of poker, uh, I think we had an extensive conversation about uh, your love of poker. Well, we've had a few of those, actually. But are you able to play poker uh, virtually, online? Um, when the pandemic was in its lull a while ago, there were a few private games that started playing in a socially distant manner that seemed responsible to me. And I played in those games for a while until the numbers started to crest. And I was like, then I, I, I just wasn't comfortable being in a room with other people. So I bailed. Those games are still going on. God knows why. 
um, you know, uh, rest their old souls, habits, I guess. Old, you know. old habits die hard, I assume. Yeah, yeah I think degeneracy is a, a very strong motivator for some people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> there are some private online games that I play in where there are people who know each other socially. They play informally using various online vehicles. There's no official sanctioned way for U.S. citizens to play poker online. Um, There are some gray market kind of U.S. facing sites that are not regulated in any meaningful way um, where I I don't feel particularly safe putting money. But there are some people who, because that's their profession, you know, they're sort of forced into that. There are some locales in the U.S. that allow for online poker, like New Jersey, Delaware, uh, Nevada. And I can't remember if there are if another one or two have joined the compact, but there are some places where you can play uh, online poker legally in the states, and people and the professionals have all moved to those places. They've all gravitated there. Just that's interesting. They've moved to a place to play a virtual internet game. Yeah, I mean, all of those places yeah. also have all of those places also have live poker. But so oh, yes, yeah, okay. All right. Well, I know it, it, you've you've told me I think revealingly in the past that you know that is an income stream for you. You count it as an income stream. So yeah, I uh, mean, when I can't play, I miss the money. I really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I read an article in a big magazine uh, that you were featured in recently uh, about uh, the state of affairs in terms of your your day job, your uh, you know electrical audio, your studio. Uh, I think those interviews were recorded in the last few months. So. Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer to this, but as we're speaking, uh, how would you describe the current state of electrical audio? Um, How's it going there? Well, I mean, we're in a a global pandemic, so it's fucking grim, you know? Uh, People can't congregate safely. We We run some sessions here at the studio in a socially distant manner, in a safe manner, uh, and we try to be conscientious about disinfecting everything, and we have rather strict protocols about how people can behave in the building and how many people can be in here and that sort of thing. But uh, honestly, I wish we—I w- I wish there was a national response that didn't require me to be open. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm open now as a matter of necessity, so that we don't, so that the the business doesn't completely collapse, but. I would prefer not to, you know, and we're trying to do it as safely as we can, but there's been very little guidance in that regard. So we've had to consult with medical professionals and come up with our own protocols that we believe are responsible, but there's no, we have no assurances of that. We're disinfecting things and everyone's masked all the time and we disinfect every article used in every session in between sessions and all the rooms are disinfected after sessions and um, I mean, we're we're trying to be conscientious about it, um, but we don't. There's no clarity about if we're whether we're doing enough or not. But the problems that we're having are not unique to us. It's just it's unsafe for people to congregate. So bands can't play gigs. There's no touring, so there's no income. Yeah, bands can't get together to rehearse. So there's no songwriting being done. There's no material yeah. being prepared for recording people can't go to record stores so there are record stores closing which means that one of the principal outlets for 
a revenue stream for recorded music is, you know, really poorly served right now by the online marketplace. Like, you can get records online, mm-hmm. but it's not the same experience as going to a record store. Well, there's a social component that's obviously missing in a, in a, yeah. in a knowledge. You know, I learn things at record stores usually. Uh, right. I mean, yeah. the I used to fantasize about like the perfect record store would be two completely obsessed guys one completely obsessed with Willie Nelson one completely obsessed with The Fall and the whole record store would be nothing but Willie Nelson and The Fall you know (laughs) right right so uh, if you went there you would learn something about one or the other of them and you would probably leave with a great record and you would have it explained to you by a guy who was intimate in it yeah. yeah. The only real problem would be if you went in to buy a Willie Nelson record and the Willie Nelson guy was at lunch and the fall guy was the only guy in the shop. <laughs> I, I have been contemplating uh, many of the things you were just uh, discussing there. Uh, I have been ordering records and in my own practice as a person who talks to cultural creators of all stripes, I have made the observation that uh, I've never been busier. Like I've had to, I try to do this this podcast once a week, but I've been, I, so many people are coming forth wanting to speak or, or agreeing to speak and I'm doubling up. So twice a week and it's a lot of work and all that stuff. But my observation, and I've raised this with other people is a lot of what I'm, uh, you know, buying a lot of who I'm, a lot of the people I'm covering pretty familiar with them. And so what I'm missing is opening bands. Yeah. New blood, new blood discovery. Like I am, I'm part or tapped into a, a pipeline of productivity that a lot of it was done pre-pandemic and it's just coming out now or what have you. And I do think, and I, I'm sure you've noticed that people are making records. Lots of stuff seems to be coming out, but I, as I talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, I made that. Like I was done that in like February. So now I'm like, whoa, you know, we've been talking about all sorts of food pipelines, you know, being impacted by this pandemic. I'm waiting for, as you say, like studio activity is, if not, shut down completely it's been minim- minimized do you imagine we're going to see you know an absence of things in the next few months like less stuff probably going to be coming out well some things have carried on like as you said like file work like people are use- working on old tapes and old material like we just yeah we yeah. we had a massive archive project that came through here um not long ago i've done two or three sort of rejuvenation or reissue projects in the pandemic and that's more than we would do in a typical year mm-hmm. uh, here uh, like there are things that are being done that are trickling out but the incubation of new ideas and the you know like house shows and neighborhood bars that have live music and things like that that's that's where people get their sea legs and yeah yeah. learn to perform in public and like it's not even safe to have a garage band at the moment you know mm-hmm. uh, and I mean the literal garage band I don't mean the the, the style I don't yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not yeah, even yeah. it's not even safe to, to get together with your buddies and practice in your basement it's just yeah. I think it's just an awful year we just need to we're going to need to wait everything out and then yeah. we can pick our lives up again on the other side yeah yeah, I agree, but I, I am missing Shellac. The, the band, uh, the band that I'm in, Shellac, had an album that was partially recorded, and we had a couple more songs to, to yet to record, and we were planning on finishing it in June. 
we were in the middle of a tour in March when the coronavirus was like growing exponentially and we canceled the tour and we went to our separate homes and we haven't been in the same room since. Yeah, that's sad. I've heard Todd is Todd is not yeah, Todd understandably is not willing to come to Illinois and get together. Yes, that's Well, the, we wouldn't ask it of him. Well, you know, yeah, that's true. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a, it it wouldn't feel safe traveling. And also like once here, some one of the joys of being in a, a city like Chicago is that you get to you know, see friends and go places and do things and he wouldn't be able to do that while he was here if he w- yeah. if we were rehearsing it would be basically rehearsal in the pod with the three of us and then isolating otherwise you know yeah 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 so yeah i i get it it's it is a shit year we we do have to wait it out um was electrical uh, i mean obviously relatively speaking i'm sure it was doing just just fine but was it flourishing in the months before the pandemic i I asked this because i i invoke the fact that you know um, a lot of people are releasing things that they made in professional studios, but mm-hmm. the, it seems like at least particularly, I know it's been going on for decades, but particularly in the last couple of decades, there is a movement uh, towards people making things at home, uh, making yeah. things on their on their own. I, I just read this book called uh, Mirror Sound by Spencer Tweedy. I, I don't know if you're familiar yep. with this book. I know you know Spencer. Uh, anyway, yeah, it just... It just it's it just came out and I just thought wow what a weird it's all about people for those who don't know it's all about people who make stuff not only recording stuff on their own but they often they play everything by themselves uh, yeah. so it's it's really fascinating so all of this to say like what does that trend ha- had that trend already been impacting a studio like yours or, or studio business would you say uh, oh absolutely like the yeah. i mean the the biggest indicator of it is the value of a day in the studio the cost of a day in the studio right. um there was a period when the studio was the only place you could record anything so whether it was an audio book or a radio jingle or a, a rock band recording an album it didn't matter what it was it had to be recorded in a studio and so during that era studio time was at a premium and in the 70s and in, even into the 80s studio time in chicago was several thousand dollars a day for a, for a proper studio like electrical audio yeah um to get a to get a day locked out in a studio like this with a competent engineer would be several thousand dollars, you know. And now a day in a studio in Studio A at Electrical Audio is six hundred dollars. Yeah. And our Studio B is four hundred dollars. So you know, nothing else that we pay for has gotten less expensive. Salaries haven't gone down. We haven't, uh, you know, our our taxes and utilities and the cost of living haven't gone down. But the cost that we can charge the billing that we can do for a day in the studio has gone down just because there is there is now only a very select very specific number of things that must be recorded in a studio essentially everything else can be done semi-professionally at home so how do you feel about that i have thought about you uh, in this regard for some time because every once in a while i'll talk to a friend who has a studio i remember talking to my friend howard billerman um yeah. who oversees howard's the a good hotel. friend of mine as well yeah, and he oversees the Hotel Tatango Studios in Montreal. And when I was there, he was kind of giving me a tour. And he said, because he knew you and I are, are you know, friendly friends. I, sure. I dare say we're Go friends. Ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, he said, oh, you know, Steve, 
I, I asked Steve for some advice about this and he helped me and I was like, oh, that's great. And every once in a while, I've asked you for things. Actually, just this week, my friend Jim White, you know Jim White, the drummer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jim, he's like, oh, I'm, I'm trying. He's been posting all these things about how he wants to try to learn how to record his own drums. And he was, he and I were texting. I'm like, you know, you should just, I bet Steve would help you. You have been very helpful to people who are, you've always been this way, it seems to me anyway. You you always offer your expertise and help. There's YouTube videos of, of you spilling the beans. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder I wonder how you feel about this. Now everyone's taking these applications and, and you know, they're setting up in their own homes instead of, you know, coming to electrical. How do you feel about that? I, well, I mean, that part of it I feel great about. I'm, you know, enabling other people or empowering other people to do stuff that they want to do on their own, independent of everybody else. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but the main thing is that I learned everything that I know how to do. I learned from somebody else like they yeah. they taught me how to do it. They were generous with their knowledge with me. And so it doesn't seem reasonable that I should be proprietary about it with other people and keep it to myself, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are some things that I figured out on my own, but I figured them out from principles that I did learn from other people, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I um, and also, there's also this, I'm just not, fundamentally, I'm not a competitive person. So I don't, it doesn't cheapen me if somebody else succeeds, you know? Right, sure, sure. So I feel like that's a, kind of an ingrained element of the, music underground the punk scene um where which is sort of where i learned how to be a human in that you're not just doing something for yourself whenever you're participating in something whenever you're doing something you're not doing it just for yourself what you're doing is you're making everything better for everybody and that's that's sort of the end goal of everything like i didn't open the studio so that i could maximize my income I opened the studio so that I would have a nice studio to work in, and then consequently, everyone else would have a nice studio to work in. You know, yeah. And that's that's the long and short of it. Uh, there's a misapprehension that a lot of people have about entrepreneurs or people who start businesses or enterprises, and they think that that the reason that you're doing it is to make money. And the the reason that you're doing it is because you're sort of compelled to do this thing, whatever it is, whether it's run a restaurant or run a bar or have a recording studio or make plumbing connectors or sheetrock or whatever it is. Sure. There's something about doing that that fulfills you, that animates you, that makes you want to carry on doing it. And in so doing, you know, you have to make money now and again to to cover the cost of doing it and to pay the employees and you know the, the ideal is that you would be successful at it and that it would provide you with a livelihood for and uh, a, a means to retire comfortably and all that sort of stuff but the money is not the reason you're doing it yeah exactly yeah yeah i for what it's worth i as soon as this stuff sort of started in april march or april i i you know i let it be known that you know i've been recording this podcast remotely for years, if anyone needs help, you know, setting it up, how, I mean, at the time, Zoom wasn't really happening the way it's happening now and all those sorts of things. So I'm like, Let, send me a note. And sure enough, people are like, yeah, how do you do it? And, you know, how do you do a tape sync? How do you do this? And I, I think in, in the spirit of what you're talking about and, and, you know, as you know, I'm an admirer of yours and I, I come from punk as well. So I felt, yeah, I want to help people. Like, I, I, I think that that is the right impulse. Um, and and I, I think it's important that we all help each other right now. I mean, so. it's it's been kind of highlighted during the pandemic when they're you know when people are 
literally running out of things and it, you know but it, i i think it's just a it's a natural human impulse that if you like identify with your neighbors and the your peers and you see de- conditions deteriorating for them that you want to do what you can to make them better yeah. and it, it sometimes that takes the form of running a business but sometimes it's just you know sharing what you have or helping somebody out in some other sort of tangible way yeah yeah no i agree uh over the years you have uh i feel like no matter what the trends are you have an ability to be proven right in terms of anticipating how music will best serve the musicians who make it and the, and the, the fans who, pr- who consume it obviously this current suspension of as you mentioned live music is suspended studios are operating uh, differently, if at all, uh, this so as we've established, this is obviously unprecedented for so many of us. But just as sort of to f- try to nutshell this, how do you think we'll get out of this and return to some sense of normalcy? Obviously, you mentioned the government intervention. Like, uh, hopefully, a change in America will impact uh, uh, you know your your situation. Well, in particular. There, there are two questions. Like, how do I think things are going to? wrap up is one question the other question is what would i like to see so that we sure, could wrap it sure. up what i'd like to see is i would like to see our government taking it seriously the way other c- countries have and pay people to stay at home and not go to work make sure that their rent is covered make sure that their their living needs are seen to and make it so that people don't feel obliged to go to work uh, yeah. that's one thing that i would like to see happen and if we did that, and if everybody committed to to staying at home for a couple of weeks, we would probably break the cycle of infection. And then that would cause case numbers to go down. That would take the pressure off of the hospitals. And that would mean fewer people would die, yada, yada. All of that would be, that would be a step toward ending it. Obviously, nothing is going to change until there is widespread vaccination and immunity. And uh, I don't know how long that's going to take. It might take a year, you know. It might take longer, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I just, I feel, you know, in our milieu, live music is such an important aspect of what we all do and, and, you know, in terms of making us feel certain feelings and all that kind of stuff. And it it seems like the exact type of activity we won't be able to do until maybe 2022 safely. And um, anyway, I don't have a question there. I I don't know. Do you feel differently about it? Do you think we'll be back at it uh, i have then. no yeah. optimism in that regard like yeah. when it when the pandemic first started people thought well we'll have a month or two of lockdowns and slowed slowed down behavior and then you know people will start will adjust to the to living with the virus and uh, people will change their behavior and that'll slow the spread and it didn't and they didn't at least not here they did yeah. in other places like you know australia new zealand vietnam like a, a lot of places canada has managed it way better than we have you know a lot of uh, places here and, th- here and there i would say i mean obviously you know uh, we we have our issues too but yes it's not there's not to your point i don't think there was a national you know plan uh it's it's provincial it's similarly to you know the states in your country each have the ability to override some ability anyway to override yeah. you know fed, federal legislation i, I guess. mean it's I utterly insane yeah. that you have a, a country without internal borders and then you have 
a communicable disease that's treated differently in Indiana than it is in Illinois. Yeah. It's just, well, that's, it's utterly that, insane. That's happening here though, too, a little bit. Um, so that, a lot, like we are, you know, we have rogue, you know, premiers. Uh, we, you know, you have governors and senators and all that stuff. We have premiers and they, they have political stripes. And so they, I, I live in a libertarian province and, it's very confusing. Like, my wife is completely, you know, we moved here to be closer to her family, but she's very frustrated. Like, our friends in Ontario, their kids are in school. Ours are not. We'd made the decision to keep them home. So we're frustrated, too. And, uh, yeah, so it's like, but also, like, where do you, where should we live? Do we all move to Vietnam? Do we all move to Australia? What? <laughs> it's, uh, by the way, have you ever, have you ever thought about leaving America? Steve, I wonder. You've, you've traveled I mean, I had, the world. I, if Trump had been reelected, then I I think there would have been no there's there would be no future for me here. Really, you really you yeah. Were I don't think I, I don't. I mean, my wife has health issues. I and especially with the raging pandemic, I just don't think it would be. I don't think the studio would survive. I don't think huh. our, our healthcare system is conducive to people who don't make a lot of money staying alive so yeah i've i feel like it would have been a necessity um or it would have been an, um, a, a very close call between staying and leaving if trump had been reelected. okay so let me just read between the lines here what part of canada would you have moved to uh i'm going to say quebec because i think montreal is a beautiful city the food is fantastic um, I love the arts and culture scene there, but I have also been, I've also enjoyed Toronto. Mm -hmm. Vancouver has a lot of hedges, I noticed. There's hedges everywhere in hedges? Vancouver. Hedges? Yeah. Like the, the, the brushery, you mean? Yeah, like around people's houses. There's a lot of, a lot of topiary and hedges. Interesting. A landscaping observation. I've not heard that. I never noticed that they have mountains. I've noticed the mountains. Yeah. Hedges was the thing that struck me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, just greenery. I mean, yeah. it's known we're 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 some parts of Canada are are quite green, but you okay? Yeah. So sorry. Um, I've been to. Uh, I've spent some time in Winnipeg. It's pretty cold there. Not so into mm -hmm. the cold. Same with uh, Calgary and Edmonton. Not so into yeah. the cold. I think Toronto's manageable you're, you're, in terms of hearty, climate. Montreal. Heart, it gets yeah, cold sure. in Montreal, but it also seems like everybody's sort of immune to it there they like they're inured like they they have everything figured out about how to get the snow out of the streets and that sort of stuff so you're a hardy chicagoan so i i wondered i've asked people in california this question they're like no can't can't do it i wouldn't be able to live in canada the the weather but you're a hardy chicago and i would think you could deal with most of our climate yeah and i grew issues. up in montana which is basically southern alberta so yeah right exactly okay so we'll hopefully i mean i i will say i I don't mean this in a disparaging way. We don't want you here. I hope you can stay in Chicago. <laughs> you know, I, it's not nothing, no, nothing personal by that. That's not a slight. I just, I hope you can maintain, but it, yeah. Anyway, yeah, I mean, you named all the, I mean, I named all the places in Canada. Uh, I don't think there are any more, uh, but Canada, <laughs> Canada was actually on a short list with New Zealand and Australia. Um, New Zealand is probably, uh, you know, no no offense, but New, Ze New Zealand's probably the spot, honestly. If you think about the oh, English-speaking really? world, like, New Zealand definitely has it over everybody else. 
Wait a minute. Given your work, though, I mean, you can't be that remote that people aren't able to swing by your your recording facility wherever it might be. You need. I mean, people, I'm operating under the assumption that the entire music industry collapses as well. Oh, so. I see. New, just vocationally, you would be switching as well. It wouldn't just be, uh, you know, your passport right. that changes. Oh, okay. I would okay. be a subsistence farmer, probably. Oh, I bet you could do that. You grow a lot of stuff, don't you? In your in your home or yeah. near your home? Yeah, I mean, yeah. sure. Yeah, I bet I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's well, that's good. Uh, here's the thing: I I don't want to uh, get em- embroiled in any mudslinging, but your name came up recently. Uh, someone dropped your name, and it happens from time to time. Ah, uh, fucking like- Elvis Costello! You know, he just can't. He won't shut up about me. I don't understand it. I thought of Steve Earle. I remember Steve Earle a few years ago said something too. It's it oh, I'd forgotten to be, about that one. But that's yeah, because he, that's probably because I'd forgotten about Steve Earle. So <laughs> I was actually offered a Steve Earle interview recently, and I was like, you know what? I remembered. I have a memory of an elephant, and I was like, eh, I don't. Know, what am I going to say to that guy? I don't. Eh. But my my question here is, what? It's often about your recording, and I find it interesting because I always think when people lash out. Uh, there's a little bit of them that are, that are you know, they're a little threatened by something, maybe. Nah. They're not just... People like what they like. He doesn't like stuff. That's fine. Okay. That's it? You just think it's a, a, an aesthetic thing? I just don't see yeah. why they would... Uh, the Elvis thing was interesting because he didn't even say your name. If you looked at it, it was like that guy <laughs> who made that record didn't know, doesn't know what he's doing. Like if yeah. I, I looked at the, it's interesting. He didn't. Anyway, you have no, you just think whatever. These people say what they're I mean, say. opinions, opinions about me are for other people. I don't really, they're, they're yeah. none of my business. You're, you're okay. welcome to them. Like I'm sure I, I, I have some opinions of Elvis Costello about Elvis Costello. I don't think they should matter to him either, you know? Right. Sure. Okay. Fair enough. I just, I wonder, I just, I think it's weird that your name is invoked in this way, uh, but particularly since so, so many of us value what you've brought to recording. That's yeah. where I'm coming from. Like, I don't get it. Right. But I mean, I mean, if you think about any, think about something atrocious, right? Uh, okay. I'm thinking about it right now. I got okay, it. Yeah. Right. Like there, there are. You know, like the the stadium will be filled when the New York Yankees play uh, in public again. You know, like just there's always there's somebody that is really into stuff. There's there are people that are really into stuff, and there are people that really hate it. And yeah. none of that none of that bothers me. I don't consider it necessarily. I, I don't consider it can wear like a badge of honor that uh, Elvis Costello isn't into my recording work. But I also I don't. I mean, I also I just don't care. You know, no, I, and it, that's right. You shouldn't care. I just, I just think it's weird. And uh, and you know, those of us who follow you and your, when your name's brought up this way out of the blue, you know, <laughs> it's just like what? Why is Steve being mentioned in this way? It's it's odd. Uh, the best hey, one was when Marky Smith dropped my name in a song and said that I was in collusion with Virgin Trains. Uh, it, really? He said yeah. that? And, There's oh. a fall song where he says that uh, that Steve Albini is in collusion with Virgin Trains. Mm. He's got like somehow I had it in for him and I'd made the trains run late or something. Do you uh, did you encounter him ever? Did you have any dust up? Nothing significant. Yeah, we've been in the same room a few times. Like he played a festival that we curated because we asked him to, but he never spoke to me about it. You know, oh, like I don't. He, huh. Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any Mark Marky Smith stories. I always admired him, but I don't. I don't have any stories about it. So when you curate something like All Tomorrow's Parties, uh, it's and when you're a band like Shellac and everyone's choosing, was was the fall your choice? I think they were. We just had a kind of a group assent about a lot of bands. 
Yeah. No, I'm sure you had yeah. a consensus on everything. I just wondered if you were like, did you, that's all. I'm just wondering, did you, did you like, have I, I don't, fall? I don't remember should, whose idea you know, it was. Okay. I, I would, right. you know, I would have named the fall, but I don't remember if it was me. You know what got lost in the, in the pandemic and everything else was the Houston Astros cheated at the World Series. What did you make of that? Um, well, I'm actually friends with someone who worked in the organization of the Houston Astros and has since lost his job in the aftermath of the cheating scandal. So I am privy to a small amount of inside baseball on that inside bit of inside baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I think the it's it's not really a gray area. It is you know it's obviously unsportsmanlike if not specifically against rules to have somebody stealing signs. And you know I think everyone involved should of course be ashamed of that behavior. Mm-hmm. But that also that was a hell of a team though. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it turns out they had a little bit of an advantage, though. Uh, so, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's yeah, like saying, you know, a, Sammy hard... Sosa, Mark McGuire, that home run derby. Yeah. That was something else. But uh, I have to, I have to, I have a hard time for precisely that reason. I have a hard time evaluating all of these appeals to purity in baseball when hmm. historically you've had things like you've had team doctors supplying amphetamines to the players on a regular basis through the 60s and 70s, just like yeah. players like, you know, hopped up out of their fucking minds playing baseball because they mm-hmm. had to play every day, you know? Sure. So, you know, and then you had, you know, people talk about steroids like they're some like magical invention that allowed people to become superhuman athletes. But you also had like Sandy Koufax was being injected with steroids before every game, you know, uh, sure. and sure. that was just because he had uh, a de- deteriorating elbow or deteriorating shoulder or whatever. Right. And he ultimately left the game because he, he thought that that constant medical attention wasn't worth it. Like being injected with steroids and being in pain just wasn't worth playing baseball. So, like, it's none of this is new or novel. Or there's always been somebody trying to find an edge, and a lot of those edges are outside the the borders of what is acceptable. And it, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who says that cheating is part of the game, and you can't blame somebody for trying to win. I, I do think people should be ashamed of cheating and blah blah blah. But, but also, it's not, you know. I think people should be more ashamed of having an awful color announcer, you know? Sure. Fair enough. I think, uh, I, I th- yes, I think Joe <laughs> Buck is a bigger crime against baseball than the Astros cheating. Yeah. People really dislike Joe Buck. It's fascinating. Like, if he's calling a game and I go on Twitter, he's just always trending and people just shitting all over that guy. And I, I see it, but I also am like, it seems like an inordinate amount of shit to be. The uh, thing to- is that there are a few archetype baseball guys and one of them was Jack Buck, Joe Buck's father, right? Yeah. There are a few yeah. guys that did it, like, superlatively, like, you know, Vin Scully. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you are in the game doing the same thing that those people did, you are going to be compared to them, you know? Yeah. Well, who on a national level would you say is good at that right now? Steve Stone is great. Steve Stone. Okay. Yeah. Steve Stone okay. is great. He, he used to do color for the Cubs. He's with the White Sox now. 
he knows as much about baseball as anybody alive, and he can bring it up on point, uh, in tempo, without being a dork about it. He's fantastic. Okay, Steve Stone. All right, well, we'll, we'll get this message to Steve, let him know that he's uh, appreciated <laughs> somehow. Yeah, that's, that's great. Uh, I want to wrap up here, just keeping an eye on the watches and the clocks. Uh, you talked about... Uh, shellac trying to make a record and 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 hopefully that can happen at some point in the next few years uh, i feel like one of the last times we spoke uh there was a b-sides compilation that was being uh worked on and yep. i will say like you mentioned archive recordings i will say i don't want to go on a tangent here but that's just what i do it is interesting what we've we've received a bit of a gift of time some of us anyway uh, in this suspension where we can tend to things, you know, some of us don't have to take the bus at 6 a.m. anymore. You know, we can work from our homes if we're lucky, if we're fortunate. But all this to say, uh, you are already working on this sort of archive project. I feel like we talked about this two years ago. Yeah. What's the status of that thing, by the well, way? Well, uh, it's a, it's in work. We're still getting our shit together. The We work very slowly and even more slowly when we can't be in the same room together. Mm-hmm. Um I think informally we had thought we would want to put out our album of new material before we put out a collection of archive material. Just right. sort of on an emotional level, it seemed like a bit of a capitulation to do the compilation first. And so that was our plan, and we just never readdressed that plan. We just never revisited that decision. Maybe we should. Oh. I mean, if we're going to be on ice for another year, then we should keep that keep that in mind. But did I just initiate a band meeting? I, I just feel like... We're uh, going yeah, to Zoom on Saturday. We're going to have our uh, irregular Saturday band Zoom, and uh, we'll commiserate, and we'll maybe we'll bring it up then. I assume it would be wrong for me to attend that meeting, so I'll just... Please take these notes back to the band and uh, let them know that I think the B-Sides comp... I think you're, you're right, though. Why, why not? I mean, if you're going to be on ice... The last thing that came out was this excellent uh, Live at BBC collection yeah uh that, 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 that was fantastic so i think there's a, a clamoring for such such stuff and i assume you're still figuring out what is i think the last time we talked there was like a quality control conversation about what really should be on the beast it won't be comprehensive it'll be like well you know we weren't so hot we're, on that particular we're yeah all of those are still open questions i think we're ultimately just going to default to putting out everything in a form where everybody can get at it and oh, let them sort great. it out you know great great awesome okay well I, I appreciate the candor there as always uh well steve uh you know i like to check in with you at least once a year as you know i think and uh i appreciate this uh i hope you enjoyed our conversation i know it went a little dark but uh are, yeah. are, are you are you okay was it all right you know i'll live <laughs> all right. Now, normally, uh, well, first of all, uh, plugs, uh, electricalaudio.com, yes? Yes. That's the website? We, yes. Our, oh. our website, we had some phishing and spam bot problems with our website through the forum and through some other corrupted databases, so we had to take our website down. We're gradually, inch by inch, putting it back together uh, um, using uh, new tools on a new server. Um, but there is a, oh. a website up at electricalaudio.com. And you can contact yeah. us through the website. And so, again, if people want to, sessions, the studio is open. People could come by somehow to make yeah. records. Our, the okay. studio is operating, uh, like I said, under strict COVID protocols, but we are we are open. There is some uh, uh, consternation about the forum being down. I assume it will be 
back in some form? That's the plan. We're still trying to migrate everything to a new and more secure platform. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that's cool. Uh, normally, I ask people to go out on a song. Um, you know, you're in a you're a musician. You write songs. You've made records. Do you want to go out on a song? Is there a shellac song or something we can go out on, or something else that you've been involved in uh, personally that you know might be temporarily appropriate? Um, just the other day, somebody brought to mind a band that I'd recorded a while ago and a particular song. The song "On Parade" by the band Electrolane. I really love that song. We have to go out on someone else's song. I, I don't know if I can do that. I don't have their permission. You, you, you do have their. Do you, do you own the rights to that song? No. <laughs> what, I don't know what you mean by go out on a song. You, you mean you want to play a song? <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I normally like I end the interview by saying, you know, can usually you know someone's talking about an album they made, so we go out on a, a representative piece from the record. In this case, you know, we're not talking about a new shellac thing or something. But I thought if you had a there's a song from your past that we could go out on. That's all I was getting at. Uh, but yeah, you, you I, I mean, wanna, you yeah, I'm. I don't have the. I don't have the energy to try to comb through all that crap right now. Let me see if I can grab. I just grabbed the uh, the end of radio uh, compilation that I was referring to here. These peel sessions are great, and I, well, I really, en- I really enjoy. Uh, the the evolution of the songs, you know, I mean, to hear these these songs from '94, what they were then, what they became. Uh, I think because we talked about Canada, maybe one of the versions of Canada sure. could be a thing we go out on. Is there one that I think the live know? one, uh, the the one from the se- the later session, uh, it has a little nod to Bob and Doug at the beginning. I think. Okay. Hey, what do you make of the fact that Rick Moranis kind of came back? I I was surprised. He seemed to disappear. Did you see that? Yeah, none of the none of those people ever go away. They're all they're they should be on your Mount Rushmore. I mean, not that you need a Mount Rushmore, but I, I I'm taking it under advisement. I'll spread the word. We need a Mount Rushmore, and the SCTV people will be on it. Okay, fine. I, we'll we'll see if we can get that done. This is a uh, Canada by Shellac from. Uh, I have to get the record again so I get the title correct. Shellac, The End of Radio is the name of the release, and uh, this is from the December 1st, 2004 Peel Session. That was my, my mom's birthday, so that, that that's nice for me. This is Canada by Shellac. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for your time, and uh, I hope we speak again soon. I hope it is. I hope we speak again, and I hope it's under better circumstances. Sing along if you know it. Anybody from Canada here tonight? Take off. Hoser. We got a name, a song after you.
cigar was ironic. You've been at it so long. It's chronic. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Very, very special thanks to Steve Albini for returning to the Creative Control podcast this time for the 589th episode of this show, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and available wherever it is you get your podcasts. All of the major podcast retailers have the show. Uh, But if you can't find an episode of the show uh, that you've heard about or you're looking for it and it's just not in any of those feeds because they have limitations about how far back in the history of a podcast they'll go, uh, if you're looking for something like that or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my a monthly newsletter. You can learn more about all of these things at my website, vishkana.com, which is spelled exactly the way it sounds. Also, you can like Creative Control on Facebook if you still use Facebook. I'd like out. I, I gotta get out. I don't want to delete the page, but I. Anyway, no, that's the wrong mixed signals there. Please like Creative Control on Facebook so you can keep up with stuff, I, I guess. Uh, pretty active on Twitter, though. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, uh, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain the existence of this podcast. Uh, those donations really do help, and I uh, value all of them. And you can donate whatever you like, and you can alter that amount at any point. So I hope you feel... Like, uh, you have a lot of freedom there to do what you like. I will say, $6 or more uh, grants you access uh, to exclusive audio content. Usually, I'm posting things from my uh, interview archives that uh, preceded this particular podcast. And again, $6 or more a month, you get access to extra stuff, bonus stuff. But again, anything you like. 
Learn more about all of this at patreon.com slash creative control. Thanks again to live at masseyhall.com, uh, where you can watch beautifully captured concerts by great Canadian artists. Also, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support uh, of this show. As always, thanks to my friend Jim Guthrie. He lends me some uh, music for the program, and uh, I love him very much, and he's very talented. You can learn more about all of his music at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you. Thank you for listening to myself and Steve Albini in conversation again. I hope you enjoyed it and learned some things. Uh, I always find it very insightful uh, to speak with Steve, uh, someone whose work and music I've admired for a long, long time. And I hope I get to see Shellac play again somewhere down the line. Uh, I, I had the uh, stack the odds against me by moving to Edmonton uh, because I've seen them... I don't know, like 10 times or something. And it's and I've, I've flown around sometimes to see them and I've driven around to see them. I really love them. But uh, the prospect of them playing, as we're speaking, you know, playing anywhere is uh, it's a little slim. But I hope I hope we get to see Shellac and other bands play music again, uh, again soon. And uh, anyway, yeah, thank you for listening to Steve and I. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you may, uh, you know, subscribe to or follow the show, whatever you want to do, and maybe tell your friends about the show that's how these things spread around the best so whatever you got to do you can also just do nothing you you may not even be listening at this point you maybe have already bailed that's fine too whatever you got to do to get by i appreciate it and uh, i will talk to you soon i hope bye for now the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.